0: Bible tonight, let's go to uh, Proverbs 29. I read a uh, article, and uh, it was just uh, just a random article about a uh, the the author was writing about a friend who awoke one morning. He had one of those uh, king size water beds, you know. I don't know if anybody still has those, but he had this big water bed, and he woke up one morning and found a puddle of water in the middle of the bed. And so he knew, well, that's a big problem. So he let some of the water out, let a lot of the water out, so he could get it outside. And then he filled it back up with water so that he could find out where the leak was. That seems smart enough. Um, As he filled up with water, though, He didn't think the difficulty it would cause to control it when it's on the side of a hill. And so as it filled up with water, it started to get away from him, and he tried his best, but that much water, you can't stop. And it just rolled down the hill into the hedgerow. Well, when it hit the hedgerow, it had plenty of holes in it. And as I would have done... He is so angry with himself and frustrated, he goes, up, he goes to uh, his bedroom, he gets the, the bed frame, and he just busts it all to pieces out of anger and throws it out by the side of the road. And he, he, he moved a, uh, just a standard bed into that bedroom, and uh, mattress and everything, and he just moved from the guest room into his bedroom. And uh, the next morning, he found a puddle of water in the middle of the bed. It turns out there was a leaky drain in the bathroom upstairs, you know. And the point is, it's good to try to fix your problems, but you better make sure what problem you're trying to fix, right, before you deal with it. I have to tell this story, and uh, it's good that Christy is in here tonight. Back in 2003, we took a uh, before we had children. We took a trip out to Yellowstone National Park, first time we'd ever been out west. And uh, we traveled 2,500 miles through 11 states, and uh, we enjoyed it because both of us like to go on road trips. It's therapeutic for us, and uh, we had a good time. 11 states, 2,500 miles in 11 days. We had a good time. We, uh, we stopped in uh, Dodge City, Kansas, because if you go through Kansas, you've got to go to Dodge City. And it's, it's, off, the, it's off the interstate a good ways. And uh, the next day, we dropped on down into Oklahoma and uh, had to get around some flooding issues because of the flat lands out there. But <coughs> we were uh, driving in 2003, this is before GPS. And uh, so we're still going by roadmaps, and I always loved roadmaps. My my grandfather was a, a semi truck driver. He's an independent trucker, and so f- since I was very little, I'd ride with him in a tractor trailer all across the country, and I'd have the map, and, uh, and I'd learn how to read the map that way, and where we are, and where we're going. And uh, uh, Christy is notorious for getting she doesn't can't read a map. Don't look at me like that. You know that's true. And if you ever ask her for directions, she's going to hand the phone to me. All right? Um, she probably couldn't tell you where she grew up at, how to get there. And that, that's exaggerating. But, uh, but, but that's the truth. We both knew that, understood that. And uh, we were traveling through Oklahoma. And uh, there's a community there. Called Bartlesville, Oklahoma. How many of you ever heard of Bartlesville, Oklahoma? I bet, I bet Jeremy has. You ever heard of Bartlesville, Oklahoma? That guy who was speaking at the leadership thing this weekend, I think is from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. With a, with a football team. And I thought of all people, he had to come from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Bartlesville, Oklahoma, there's nothing there. There's no reason for you to go there, okay? Uh, but I went there one time. And uh, we were we were driving through Oklahoma, and uh, I was supposed to make a right turn, and I missed the right turn. And Christy says, "I think you were supposed to turn there," and I said, "No, I wasn't. The turn is on up the road a little ways." And she pulled out the map. She says, "I'm looking at the map. I'm pretty sure you missed your turn," and I said, "No." She says, I think we're going to Bartlesville. And I said, no, we're not going to Bartlesville. I said, now, honey, I said, you know you can't read a map. I got this. And about that time, there was a sign on the side of the road on my right that said, welcome to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And she has never, of all the places we've seen in 2,500 miles, that's her favorite spot. She has never let me forget about Bartlesville, Oklahoma. (laughs) I knew right away when I saw that sign I was in trouble. Well, tonight I want to uh, just deal briefly with the subject, God's emphasis on vision. And I want to deal with that because I believe in all areas of life it is wise for us to pause and ask ourselves a question, where exactly is the road we're on leading us? And that can be applied to our, our relationships, uh, whether you're dating someone or you're married to someone. It can, it can apply to raising a family um, What kind of you know? How what are we producing in our children? Uh, What are we expecting from them? What are we trying uh, to lead them to? It's it's important in business uh, to know where you're going, and it's important in ministry. And in Proverbs 29, I think this is the most well-known verse of Scripture pertaining to vision, and we're going to look at verse number 18. I a springboard from tonight. <coughs> Where there is no vision, the Bible says, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is he. I did not know Miss Sarah was here until just now. Where there is no vision, the people f- perish. But, ha- but he that keepeth the law happy is he. We hear a lot today about vision. There are many books written on it. There are many seminars that are given and depending on whose book you're reading or whose lecture you're listening to, uh, really you can become confused as to exactly to as to what exactly a vision is you can is it a purpose is it a dream? is it a goal? Uh, we often find vision in an organization's mission statement or A business plan. Uh, During election years, we hear it stated often in political speeches. We even use it ourselves from time to time when we pose the life-searching question, where do I see myself in five years, ten years, even twenty years from now? Uh, Dr. Les Perot in his book Three Seconds, The Power of Thinking Twice, offered a great definition for vision defining it as a picture of the future that gives you passion today. And so vision is essential to life and development. That's true. That's, uh, that, is an, uh, that is a uh, right statement. It provides every individual a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It establishes a direction for life. But the vision and passion is only as good as the character of its source. Because you can say that Adolf Hitler had vision and passion. Yet what he accomplished was one of the greatest crimes against humanity. So as children of God, the vision and passion for our lives should be firmly connected to God's will for us. What is God's direction for our life. Where does God want us to be in five years, in ten years? What does God want us to uh, train our children in the direction that they should go? What does God want for the direction of my life? What does God want for my business, my relationships? Jim Elliot was one that was, had a great passion and vision in his life when it came to his Christian faith. And throughout his work as a missionary, he often wrote down many of his thoughts and prayers. And one such entry in his journal, he addressed his concern about impact. And he wrote these words He says, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, road, make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Jim Elliott found his service to God a wonderful joy and was willing to face danger for the possibility of reaching those without hope and without God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we know the story, he lost his life at the age of 29, trying to reach people who had never heard about Jesus. But if you look closer in verse number 18, we find that the purpose of vision is in direct relation to the word of God. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But happy but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Vision and the word of God go hand together. And when we know, when we are obedient and following the Word of God, and it's providing direction in our life. We see Psalm 1 come into play here. That happy is he that is living out his life according to the Word of God and whose vision is directed by the will of God. Uh, The Bible is not just a historical record of events of the past and a prophetical book for the future. Rather, it's a record of God's vision for humanity, and happy is he that keeps it. An unknown writer once said, The Bible is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy... It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Students of the Word of God understand its value because Hebrews four twelve says it discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. In Romans ten seventeen, we find that it produces faith. In Psalm one nineteen verse ten, it keeps us from sin. It teaches us what to believe through doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter three. Verses 16, it teaches us that what is wrong through reproof. It teaches us what is right through correction. It teaches us how to live right through its instruction in righteousness. And throughout the Bible, we find men and women, very much like you and I, whom God called out of their usual routine to do something quite different. God called Noah in the midst of a troubled, godless society to build an ark, And gave him the blueprints on how to do it. God told Abraham to leave his family and his homeland. And to go to an unknown land where he would bless him and his family tree for generations to come. When times got real bad and Isaac was tempted to run to Egypt. God told him to stay right where he was and he would bless him. God gave a young shepherd boy named Joseph a dream. And because of it, he was betrayed by his own family. But God used him to save much people alive. God called Moses out of the luxury of Pharaoh's palace to lead Israel out of Egypt. He raised up a warrior in Joshua to lead his people through many battles until they conquered all and possessed the promised land. He called Gideon as he was hiding from the Midianites to save Israel out of their hand. He took the devotion of Ruth who left all she had ever known and became a follower of the God of Israel and would later would marry a man named Boaz and together they they would become the grand great grandparents of the future king of Israel in David he called Samuel as a young child to become a mighty man of God in Israel he called a shepherd boy named David while tending to his father's flock to be anointed king he used a young man named Solomon to build the very first and most Magnificent temple unto the Lord. He used Nehemiah, who was far away in distant lands, to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He caused men like Jeshua and Zerubbabel to lead a remnant out of captivity back to their homeland to rebuild the house of God. He used a man named Ezra, who had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it to teach the word of God and revive a nation. He called Jeremiah as a child to become a mighty prophet who remained faithful to his calling although he would not have one single convert. He called a farmer named Amos while following his flock to go and prophesy in Israel. He called businessmen like James, John, Peter, and Andrew as they were tending to their nets to follow him and become fishers of men. He called men like Matthew while sitting at their desk at work to follow him. He reached out to a short, rich publican named Zacchaeus who became a philanthropist. He called men like Paul while on a mission to do something terrible to become a mighty preacher of the glorious gospel of Christ. And he used young men like Timothy who was raised by a godly mother and surrounded by godly influences to become a pastor of a local church. And what all of them had in common is that God had given each one of them a vision of of what he wanted them to do, and he pointed them in that direction through his word, and they all set out to accomplish that task. One of my favorite quotes is from J. Hudson Taylor, who said, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they simply reckoned on his being with them. So, turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to give you four quick things, four quick points uh, tonight. Hebrews chapter four or chapter 11 in verse number four. God's vision is particular or specific. All right? An example of this, Hebrews 11 verse four. "By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice." Then Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. God calls different people to accomplish different tasks for a single purpose. He gives the church the responsibility of taking the gospel throughout the world. He chooses to accomplish this task through individuals. (coughs) Adoniram Judson labored faithfully in Burma for 18 years without a furlough. And for the first six years, he did not have a single Burmese convert. He said that he never saw a ship leave Burma without wanting to board it and go home. And when his wife became sick and had to go home for two years without him, he wrote, if we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace and perform the ordinary service of religion, that would be wonderful. But he then wrote, life is short. Happiness, happiness consists not in outward circumstances. Millions of Burmese are perishing. And I am almost the only person on earth who has attained their language to communicate salvation. He saw that as a specific job for himself. And he has a specific job for you and I. And we are the only person who can accomplish it. And the question is, well not really the question, but it is important for us to be To be doing all that God wants us to do in the time that he has given us. God also, he he desires our best effort. Because Abel is not remembered because he offered a sacrifice. Because Cain also offered a sacrifice. Notice in the middle of the verse, he's remembered because he offered a more excellent sacrifice. Cain offered the best he could grow. Abel offered up a life. And so how good is our effort? Is our offering unto God a more excellent sacrifice? Secondly, look in verse 5 and 6, God's vision is peculiar. Jesus instituted his vision for, the, for worldwide evangelization, not with scholars, but a handful of mission, fishermen. And he simply told them, he says, follow me, and I'll make you to be fishers of men. They were required to simply follow. Jesus did the making. Everybody get that? Write that down. Okay? He says, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. Their their only responsibility was to follow. Jesus is the one that did the making. Okay? Okay? And the Holy Spirit is able to do that in our life. All right, It can be too big, it can be uncomfortable, it can be all of those things that we want to offer up for excuse. All they had to do was follow the Lord, and the Lord took care of the rest. By the time Christ sent them on their own, Peter and John had established a reputation among the scholars. They didn't start out as scholars. But they gained a reputation among the scholars in Acts 4 verse 13. Who when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Michael, what the scholars saw in Peter and John was simply those men followed Jesus. Okay? That's all, they were, that's all that he told them to do. Follow me. And I will make you. And if we can just be found following the Lord, we will be exactly where we're supposed to be. All right? We will, uh, all the stuff where we're trying to figure out will be exactly where we're supposed to be if, if we focus on following the Lord. God chooses to do unique things through unique people. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10 says, But ye are a... T- Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In Hebrews 11, in verse number 5, We read of Enoch, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch was unique in that God translated him and the reason God translated him was because he had a testimony that he just pleased pleased the Lord. In verse number 6, the Bible says that we cannot please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So God requires us to trust Him. And as we continue through this list, I promise you that none of these individuals mentioned had all the answers when they decided to follow God In verse number 7, read with me about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Not, even, not only were they not seen, he had never even heard of such a thing. What is rain, God? He had no idea. But he, yet he moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness of God. Which is by faith. They didn't, he didn't have all the answers, but he did what God told him to do, and his family reaped the benefits because of it. Look at Abraham in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. God told him to go, and he didn't even know where he was going. But he found God all along the way. God was with him on the journey. God directed him. And God blessed him when he got there. In verse 11, we read about Sarah. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She was way too old to have a child. It was impossible For her to have a child. It was physically impossible for her to have a child. But she trusted the Lord and God gave her a child. Thirdly, God's vision is purposeful. Look at verse 24 and 25 of Hebrews 11. God's vision has a definite aim. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses felt that way because at the age of 40, evidently God had put such a vision in his heart. Acts 7 and verse 24 says, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. So he left Pharaoh's house, then he had that whole situation where he killed the Egyptian, and then he ran for his life and spent 40 years in the desert. All right, God had given him a specific purpose, a definite aim, and he was to fulfill that course. And lastly tonight, God's vision is possible. It's possible. God doesn't call us to something that cannot be done. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are what? All things are possible, right? And so God calls us to it. God's going to help us do it, all right? Or get us? He bring us to it. Look in, uh, look in verse twenty nine. It's possible because it requires God to do it. Hebrews 11 verse twenty. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, the saying to do, were drowned. All right? They got to the Red Sea. To the, to, in front of them was a body of water. Behind them was the Egyptian army fast approaching. And uh, Moses is praying. And God tells them, just go forward. Just go forward. And he raises up that rod. And when he raises up that rod, the Bible says that God, the wind blew and it parted the waters. And it, it dried up the ground and they went across on dried ground. You with me? And uh, <coughs> I mean, God, God did it. Uh, it's, it's possible. The Lord said to Moses, take the people and go forward. And every one of us would say, where are we going to go? It's impossible. But as they go, God takes care of it and he gets them through it. Look at verse 30. You remember those giant walls, those well-fortified cities that the spies said they couldn't, they couldn't overcome? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. The walls came tumbling down because God did it. Alright? His, his idea was to march around the city and on the se- and seventh day shout and blow the trumpet and the wall fell. It's possible. Verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. It's possible. For us to overcome our background, overcome our past, our sinful history, our sinful ways and lifestyle, it's possible to overcome that and begin a new life because it requires God to do it. George Mueller said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible Faith begins where man's power ends. Amen? So, here's the thing. In reality, none of us really want to live there. You know, none of us really want to live in a place where if, it's, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. You know, if God doesn't come through, we're not going to make it. If, if God doesn't provide... We're going to lose our house. Our power is going to get cut off. Or if God doesn't help us, heal us, we're going to die of sickness. I, I, I mean, none of us really want to live there. None of us really want to live in a place where um, we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We don't, we're just going to keep going forward. But we really don't know what's going to happen. All right? But that's where you find God doing the greatest things. Are you with me? That's where you find God doing the greatest things. And so it it requires us to be there to see God shine and do more for us than we could even know what to pray for. On December 22nd, 1899, the evangelist D.L. Moody lay dying. And his first job had been as a shoe clerk in Boston gathering Eighteen ragged boys off the street to organize a Sunday school class. In two years, the class had grown to 1,500. That's a pretty good Sunday school class, wouldn't you say? In his lifetime, Moody was to take two continents in his hands and shake them for God. And as he died, he left this epitaph written on the flyleaf of his Bible. If God be your partner... Make your plans large. That's pretty good. You can use that, Darren. Darren, Mr. Quote over there. If God be your partner, dream big, man, right? Reach for it. Say, I can never get there. Maybe not tomorrow, you know? Maybe we can't get there tomorrow. But if I take a step in that direction today, and step in that direction tomorrow, and step in that direction every day this week, and I'll eventually get there. Amen. You can eventually get there. Listen. Where there's no vision, the people perish. (laughs) People, People lose the desire to dream. People... People will walk around defeated. Well, where are we going? What are we doing? What What is the purpose of this? Why? What, what am I doing? You know, that's midlife crisis that you get to. And what is my is What does my life really mean? What's the purpose of it, right? Where there's no vision, where there's no direction, where there's no where there's nothing. Where there's not something greater than than ourself that we're living for we become defeated we become hopeless we we lose we lose our zeal we lose our passion right but when you got something that you're working toward and you might not have all the answers yet and, 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 and your kids aren't there yet. And your marriage isn't there yet. Or your relationship isn't there yet. Or your Christian life, you're not where you want to be yet. You know, keep following God's direction. Stay obedient to his word. And God will get you to it. Amen? I'll give you this last thought. All right. Most of you know Will took up high jump this year, and uh, nobody knew how to coach him. They just said, "Hey, the guy can dunk a basketball. Maybe he can do good in high jump." And so they just said, "Hey, go jump." And uh, so he did, and he did his. He did his. He did pretty good. All things considered. But when we were at state, there was a coach that was sitting uh, with us watching the players. And uh, he asked me, my wife, which one was our son. And a uh, real nice gentleman. And he he gave me some something to tell Will. And uh, when Will was done, uh, he came, Will came out to us and the coach got up and introduced himself and he gave him some instruction. He says, when you start out 5'6", five, 5'8", six, five, 6 foot, whatever you can jump on your own. He says, you run up there and you jump and your jumping ability helps you get over it just because you can jump high. He said, but the way those guys get 6'4", 6'6", 6'8", I mean, the Olympic record is over eight foot. Now, if you've got an eight-foot ceiling in your house, you think of somebody jumping and say, I'm going to jump on the second floor of your house. And his whole body goes over the wall of your, you know, you've got an eight-foot wall of studs, and his whole body goes over that wall. That's crazy, isn't it? But he told him this. He says, the higher you get... He says, "You have to increase your speed and you have to jump a li- you have to jump a step sooner every time it goes up. And he says, "When you get up, your momentum will carry you, and then you have to learn how to really bend your body over that bar." And that was, that was his coaching, but his season was over at that point. But I thought about that. And I thought, you know, I can, I can jump standing still so high and so far. But if I say I'm going to jump from where the piano is, each step that I take increases my momentum so that when I get there, I can leap as far as I can go. And the spiritual application of it is this. Steve, we're not going to be able to jump very far from right where we're at. But if I take a step in that direction today, and I'm going to obey the Lord and let the Lord lead, and I take a step tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, and I start picking up some speed and I'm growing and the Bible becomes real and God becomes more personal. And I'm not consumed by lust and temptation and sin. I'm, my, my, my mind and my body and my spirit is sold out for, for the, God's purpose in my life. I mean, every step I take increases my momentum so that when I finally get to that point, I can fly. Are you with me? So you might, not, you might not be able to jump very far today. You might not be where you want to be, but every step you take today and tomorrow will get you there. Amen? Amen? Those fishermen didn't become great preachers who turned the world upside down overnight. They followed the Lord day after day after day. And he changed their life. Father, bless the word tonight. We thank you for the opportunity.